You are Locked On Wizards, your daily Washington Wizards podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Did you call Hello and welcome to another edition of the Lockdown Wizards podcast. Ben Standick here. The road trip is over. The road trip is over. The Wizards will be back home Tuesday, but they will be returning home with their first three-game losing streak since early, early, early in the season. They fall to the Warriors 139-115. I guess depending on how you want to look at it, it wasn't that lopsided for most of the game, but at the same point, the Wizards were never really in this one for the most part. Golden State, with the Splash Brothers doing splashy things, particularly Steph Curry, largely had this one in the bag. We're going to go through the whole game and where we stand with only five games left in the regular season here on the podcast. As always, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Audioboom, you can find us on Twitter at LockdownWizards or at Ben Standing. All right, let's get into this. 139-115. I, I, I believe that the, the Steph Curry that we saw tonight was remarkably different from the one we saw when the Wizards won uh, against Golden State on February 28th. That must have been Sebastian Curry. This was definitely Steph Curry. Ridiculous. 42 points, nine three-pointers. Maybe his best shot of the game was one where he uh, drove past Kelly Oubre, threw multiple players, threw up a reverse over his head layup. Uh, spectacular game from Curry. He had plenty of help. Golden State shot 56.2% from the field. Bradley Beal and Boyan Bogdanovich had 20 points each for the Wizards. Uh, the Wizards, as I said, finished the road trip 2-3. and three. With their first three-game losing streak since November 11, 17th, back when they fell to two and eight, we all remember that two and eight start. I, I, I will say, you never want to lose three in a row. Obviously, it is the first time all year they've lost. It's only, I'm sorry, the only the second time all year they've lost three in a row. If they beat Charlotte on Tuesday, they will avoid their first four-game losing streak of the year. Going back before this trip started. My sense was if they go two and three, you take it when you consider the opponents, primarily the Cavaliers, the Clippers, the Jazz, the Warriors. They won those first two, beating Cleveland in impressive fashion and beating the Lakers in, in before facing the Clippers. The, the next three games, you know, there were some moments here and there, but defensively, particularly guarding the three, they definitely struggled. That's been an ongoing theme now for some time, certainly since the All-Star break. So you take the two, I think you, you, you accept the two and three, but you're upset with how things have gone these last three games in terms of just how they competed, particularly defensively. We'll come back to the game in a second. Other headlines out of this game. John Wall, 15 points and 11 assists. The note here is the 11 assists because that allowed him to break the franchise single season assist record. He now has 802. He topped Rod Strickland, who had 801. In the 1997-98 season, big ups to John Wall. An impressive year continues for him, uh, with, with, without a doubt. 
uh, what can you say? You know, he definitely has taken his game up, up a notch and then some this year. Interesting to note, though, that 11th assist was also his last one of the game, and it came with 6.05 in the third quarter. That's because, in part, the Wizards didn't play, or Scott Brooks didn't play the starters in the fourth quarter. We'll get back to that in a second. But John didn't have any other assists in the rest of the third quarter either. Either way, congrats to John Wall, the new record holder, once again, rewriting the record books for this team. All right, another headline. Let's talk about the standings. The Wizards are now 46-31. and 31. They are officially a full game behind third place Toronto. The Raptors won today. Each team has five games left, as do essentially all the teams behind them who are still battling for playoff spots. The standings have remained very tight between 5 through what, 10, 11. So we'll look at that. Right now it looks like a Wizards-Milwaukee situation, but... A lot of things can change, and we'll go through some of those scenarios in a little bit. Uh, let's get back to the game, though. I mean, you know, there was a point in the game, the Wizards, um, at one point in the second quarter, that they, they 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 were down pretty much the whole game. Actually, the Wizards never led. They were down throughout, but they, they were down double digits, and they slowly caught it up, caught up to within two points in the second quarter, and Golden State just boom, boom, boom. They did it all night. We just make big shots splashy shots, as it were, uh, throughout. And the thing is, obviously, I just mentioned Steph Curry's 42 points. Klay Thompson had a had a good game as well. Uh, let me pull up Klay Thompson's stats. Klay Thompson, 23 points, 9 of 20 from the field, 4 of 10 from 3. So those two went 13 of 24 from 3. I want to say they went 5 of 22 from 3 when the Wizards won that first meeting. You kind of figured it wouldn't happen again. Here's the thing, though. You would kind of accept on some level that those guys are gonna are gonna go off. No Kevin Durant still. So in their starting lineup, you've got Patrick McCall starting, Draymond Green, who's obviously uh, you know an All Star, and Zaza Pachulia. Now they have some guys on the bench who can produce as well. But the point is, it's Clay, it's Curry, and then it's everybody else. There is something to be said for the strategy of saying let the let the main players for a given team get whatever they're going to get. Just keep everybody else in check. Uh, when I have talked about the idea of John Wall scoring a lot but not getting a lot of assists, it sort of comes to that point. Maybe he gets going, but if you keep everybody else away from getting into a rhythm, um, you know, it, it, it can give you a shot. Um, it's one way to go attacking the team, and later in the game, maybe you can now force the ball away from those main stars and give it to guys who have not been in rhythm throughout the game. Well, here's the problem with that, this one. The Wizards didn't do a very good job uh, in, in slowing down anybody else. You look at these five guys, Zaza Pachulia, Andre Iguodala, David West, JaVale McGee, Sean Livingston. They went a combined 21 of 30 from the field. And those guys, we're not talking about a ton of three-point threats there. Uh, Andre Iguodala hit one, and I believe that's it of those players. No, no, None of those other guys... Made a three. Sean Livingston, eight of ten from the field. That doesn't even he doesn't even bother trying to uh, go outside the, the go, go go outside the three point arc. The Golden State essentially matched the Wizards' points in the paint, yet dominated from deep. The Wizards made ten th- threes, but Golden State made sixteen and were just far more uh, efficient. I didn't mention Draymond Green in among the efficient scorers, but what he did was. He had 11 points, 12 rebounds, and 13 assists. 
for a triple-double. The 139 points, the most allowed in regulation by the Wizards, and only this season only one point less than the 140 Cleveland put up in that overtime run. Uh, yeah, like I said, you know, the the the, the perimeter, the penetration allowed by the perimeter defenders has been a problem for some time. And when you allow guys to get in the lane and they throw it back out for, for kickouts or for open shooters, I mean, that's that that's a problem. You've got to cut these guys off. They continue to struggle with that. But like I said, it just felt like they could get it wherever they wanted. Wherever the passer wanted to go, um, they, 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 they could get the open shots. And Golden State, hello, they are a tremendous uh, passing team. There's no doubt about that. 34 assists on 50 field goals. Steph Curry had eight assists as well. So the, the, the defense has just been incredibly problematic. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's we're way beyond the point of just saying, well, it's a blip. They'll figure it out, what, what, what have you. The only thing I can sort of go, go to at this point is they are, the hope is that the Wizards will, once they get to the playoffs, will be like, okay, we're tired of being bored on this end of the court. We'll get at it. They just have not had that intensity uh, on that end of the court. I say that, though, but you know what? The bench, once again, had a spark. It's starting in the fourth quarter. Uh, well, first off, in the third quarter, the, the Warriors scored 39 points as the start. The Washington starters really just lacked defensively again. They were up by 22 points, and it was 106-88 entering the, the fourth quarter. Curry, just an insane performance in that quarter. Then the Wizards go with an all-bench lineup, and they open the fourth quarter with an 8-0 run. In less than three minutes, it's 106-96. Uh, the, the, the Warriors, you know, kind of held it from to, from there, and Brooks avoided going back to the starters. I think I think it's a sign of respect to Golden State that he didn't see his guys being able to catch up with Curry and all them, and, and, and I don't blame him for that too much. Um, let me come back to that one in a second, but... The Wizards bench, you know, hangs in there, and they get it to 116-107 with 5.05 left, and then Golden State closes the game with a 23-8 run. Again, they left their starters in essentially all the way to the end. The Wizards clearly had some issue with that uh, in the closing seconds. JaVale McGee, yes, that's JaVale McGee. He's lining up for, a, I think it was a three-pointer or close to it, literally in the waning seconds. Could have just run out the clock, essentially. Uh, Brandon Jennings was in his vicinity. Brandon Jennings didn't take kindly to that. Brandon Jennings essentially shoved JaVale McGee. They would call a flagrant foul on him. The refs went to look at it to see. Uh, they called a, f a flagrant foul. Uh, Scott Brooks then, in the la after they called a foul, he called, actually called a timeout to come over and chew out the refs, which I found somewhat amusing. Uh, sounds like the Wizards, some of the players are complaining or, or, or explaining that they think Golden State was running up the score in the final, few, in the final couple minutes there to embarrass them or what have you. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I always look at it. I mean, look at the at the point when the score was up. They're up twenty points. And there's a thirty seconds left. Obviously, they can't. The Wizards can't come back to win. But you know, whatever. I, it doesn't. It doesn't really bother me that much. Uh, per se. Um, you know, the, Javale McGee is not a regular starter. He's taking a three pointer. Obviously, it's something of a joke. I, you know, I, I I don't personally have a huge issue with it. I always get it. I always get it. Think it's hilarious when you when you see you know, football fans freak out about things like this because I always note when the other team is trying 
the, the losing team is trying to score, and if you if the winning team doesn't, and the losing team starts getting some momentum, which we've seen 21 points leads evaporate in the fourth quarter, then people say, well, why weren't you trying more? But if you try more, you try to keep scoring, they say you're running up the score. I say if you're trying to play, play it out. That, that, that Golden State wanted to leave their starters in, that's up to that's up to Steve Kerr. Now, personally, if it was the reverse, and that, and, I, and that was the Wizards, I would have said, hey, Scott Brooks, get your starters off the court already. There's no reason for John Wall, et cetera, to be in the game with two minutes to go and you're up 18, 20 points. But whatever. So the Wizards had an issue with it. We'll see if that if that sparks them going forward. Um, you know, there's a code to all these things. I get it. Sometimes I think it's a, there's, you know, there's code, and some of these codes I don't think always make a ton of sense, but whatever. It wasn't ultimately it doesn't make make much of a difference as the Wizards were going to um, going to lose. Um, I mentioned before that John Wall and the other starters did not play in the fourth quarter. Uh, look, uh, the Wizards. You know, we've talked about this all season. Scott Brooks has played these guys a lot of minutes. When asked about this numerous times about resting guys giving them a game off, what have you. Scott Brooks has said that he doesn't, that's not how he views the world. Um, they, only, they only have to play 35 or so minutes every other day, more or less. And, you know, they're not practicing a ton these days because of the schedule. He doesn't see it as a big deal. That, that he didn't play these guys in the fourth quarter tonight. Again, they got it down to nine points with about five minutes to go. But I think that was a sign of him, of respect from, Steve, from Scott Brooks to the Warriors, the Steve Kerr team and all that. And he basically said, you know what, I think we're just going to call off the dogs here. And I don't really have a huge issue with that in this spot. As I recall, in the last game, in the last time the Wizards came back from the five-game road trip, different kind of road trip. They went 4-1 and one on that trip, but they had lost the last game, and there was all those, a lot of big big comebacks they needed. So it wasn't like the cleanest of trips, even though they went 4-1. and one. That pregame... Uh, a pregame of that first game back against Dallas. Don't know if I asked it, but maybe. But somebody asked Brooks, what's your sort of biggest concern about this game back coming off that road trip? And he said, hey, a lot of times that first game back is a tricky one, whether it's human nature or whether it's adjusting to getting back home, that a team can often sort of lack the needed focus or energy or what have you. And sure enough, the Wizards had a late game fade there and lost to Dallas. I wonder if that played some factor in Brooks's thinking here that he decided to uh, roll with the bench. Who, again, let's, let me not bury the lead here somewhat on the bench. Props to them for playing well. It's an amazing turn of events how for most of the year the story was, oh boy, the, the starters get a big lead. You bring in the bench, there goes the lead. Happened time and time again. And uh, lately that has not been the case. Um, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich, he goes four for seven from three. Today, 20 points, good to see him get going. I think, you know, this this type of game, an open court game for the Wizards, is just a better feel for them. They just played a Golden State team that just, you know, as as poor as the Wizards are playing defensively, what can you say? The Warriors just made all the shots, and you got to give them credit for that. So again, I don't really have an issue with Brooks taking the starters off the court in the fourth quarter, and I'm going to get, I'm going to bet that last situation was was somewhere in his mind. They of course need to come out though and take care of business against Charlotte. Uh, this brings us to the standings issue. So again, they are now one full game behind Toronto for third place. 
Both teams have five games left. Let's take a look at that, the games between the Wizards and Toronto. The Wizards, five games left. The first of those five, uh, Tuesday against Charlotte. They, that, then from there, it's an every other day situation. And by the way, that's sort of another point. They play Sunday in Golden State. They're playing in 48 hours back home. Uh, that west to east travel, we hear about it all the time when we're talking about football teams. That that you know the west coast teams going east much harder than the east going to west. I think you got to consider that as well. Some people will say, ah, you're making too big deal, a bit too much of a big deal out of it. Frankly, I never get the the jet lag thing. Knock on wood. Uh, I often take a red eye back if I'm out west, but whatever. It's got to be a thing for the, especially for the finely tuned athlete. So I think that has to be another consideration. Anyway. Wizards, home to Charlotte on Tuesday, a team they have beaten two out of three times this year, but did lose the last meeting. Then at the Knicks, who they've taken hand, handed this year, the Knicks are just awful at this point. Then back home for the right for the home finale against Miami, who they've now lost to twice, or their own two this year. Then at Detroit, they lost at the Pistons the last time they faced them, and then they closed the, closed out the regular season against the Miami Heat. Now. The Wizards, right now, only Miami is currently in the playoffs. Uh, if the season were to end uh, today, uh, Charlotte and Detroit are outside right now. So from that perspective, it's not bad. However, other than the Knicks, all all the four teams the Wizards are playing are still battling for playoff spots, I'll get to the rest of the East standings in a second. So nobody should be laying down other than the Knicks. Who knows whatever they're doing? They just learned, or it was just announced today that Derrick Rose is out for the year with with another knee injury. So bummer for him, but you know whatever. The Knicks are just not not, not a good team right now. But it is in New York, so you you, you always uh, you know any road game is is in theory a tough game. Now here's Toronto situation. The Wizards have three of their last five on the road. Toronto has four of their last five on on the road. I do believe. They, they have, actually, let me just double check that really quick here. Okay, yeah, the, the Raptors, four of their last five games are on the road. Here's their deal. At Indiana on Tuesday, then a back-to-back. They're at T- Detroit Wednesday. Day off, they face Miami at home on Friday, travel to the Knicks on Sunday, then a cut the next day off, and then they face Cleveland in the regular season finale. Now, Similar to the Wizards, they only have one team right now on that on those five that's currently in the playoffs. That's Cleveland. And again, other than Knicks, the other three teams are still battling. That said, I don't know if who knows what Cleveland's going to be playing for at that point. Uh, if unless first place is at stake, the Cavaliers may just absolutely punt that game and have nothing and, and have nothing to play for. And considering the game before that is against the Knicks, it's possible that the Wizards are going to be already know their fate realistically by the time we get to Sunday. So that is uh, something to keep in mind. The the, the, the Raptors, the, the Wizards go Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. The Raptors go Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. So uh, by the time the Wizards get to their third game, which will be Miami back here, we'll, and that's at, so, so Miami will play... Toronto at in Toronto Friday, then travel to play Washington Saturday. That's that's good to know as well. But Toronto, so in other words, Toronto's got a tricky schedule. This isn't over yet. But reminder, the Wizards have to be in ahead of Toronto. Toronto owns the tiebreaker. So it's not enough just to tie to get third. They're gonna have to pass them 
Um, there. I guess we can also just note here while we're here, it is probably unlikely at this point that the Wizards are going to move up beyond... Well, actually, well, we can pretty much end that. The Wizards are three and a half behind Cleveland. There's only five left. Let's just... We'll just end that. So, it's all about Toronto. The Wizards can't finish any worse than fourth. So, that's a good uh, that's good news. They will get home court advantage um, regardless in the first round. By the way, for those of you on 50-win watch, they have to go 4-1 and one to get there. Um, at this point. Now, with one more win, the Wizards will eclipse the 46 that wins they had in the 2014-15 season, which means the 47, if that's where, you know, 46 was the most they've had since they got 50 back in the 78-79 season. So even if they don't get the 50, they've already done, they would have done better, and we're assuming they're going to do that. They will have done better than every, I'm sorry, they had 54 wins in 78-79, but you know what I mean. Uh, they will have done better than every season in between in terms of their record. That's not nothing. That's something to celebrate, to be accomplished, and all that. Um, personally, didn't care too much about 50. It was a nice milestone, um, and it definitely looked at times like they could get there. But, you know, we all looked at the schedule. We saw March was going to be a bitch. Scott Brooks, more or less, said as much as well. So, we'll see. Look, they, they can still do it. Th these last five games are hardly... Impossible, but at the same point, they've got to start playing better defense if they're going to get there. Now, as far as the matchups go, just to go through this quickly, the Milwaukee Bucks are currently in fifth place, one game ahead of Atlanta, two games ahead of Chicago, so that's five, six, seven. Then you've got Miami and Indiana, both are three back of Milwaukee. They are tied for eighth, but Miami is would be in the playoffs right now. Charlotte is four back, Detroit is five back. So what do you got there? Uh, seven teams battling for... Uh, four spots. I, you know, if I could revise that podcast I did with Mike Prada about 10 days ago or so about which team we fear the most for the Wizards, you know, I guess you sort of get caught up in the moment. Miami at that point was on an, was on an incredible run, but right about that point is when Deion Waiters hurt his ankle. He's hasn't played the last seven games. Miami is three and four in that stretch, which has sort of dropped them back. But Milwaukee keeps rising. And as I've said now several times, those four games that the Wizards played against the Bucks this year were tough games without question. Uh, the blowout up in Milwaukee around Christmas was one of their worst losses of the year. I don't particularly like this matchup at all for the Wizards. Um, so much length on the Bucks. We'll see. Right now, that's where they're at, but they're only a game up on Atlanta. The Hawks just look like a mess. So if the Wizards can't catch Toronto, the bad news potentially would be facing the Milwaukee, in my opinion. The good news, though, I guess, depending how you want to look at it, if Boston stays in first, then the Wizards would avoid Cleveland in the second round or the Eastern Conference semifinals. They're going to have to get past the Bucks first. They will be favored. They'll have home court advantage. But they're going to have to start playing better for me to feel particularly good about it. But just know I'm typically a glass-half-empty kind of guy. Uh, I got that vibe in me. Uh, last couple notes here on the Wizards. Uh Thomas Sadoransky was with the second unit today. Jason Smith out of the rotation on this one. I, I think this is just matchup-based. Open court game. You want ball handlers on the court against Golden State. Sadoransky gave you some of that. And as he usually does, he gives you energy. He always looks engaged in the game. That's good to see. You know, he still has kinks to work out with his, with his shot and his ball handling. That's what the summer is for. But anyway, so I suspect Jason Smith will be back in his normal spot. Uh, next game, uh, in the middle, Jan Mahimi, 21 minutes, Marching Gortat, 16. Golden State, not a matchup where you want to play your centers tons of minutes, but still interesting to note Mahimi played more minutes, and 
You know, I can continue to think unless I, I couldn't continue to imagine at least that Jan Mahimi will be the guy out there in the fourth quarter if Brooks wants a big man at, at center over Gortat. We'll see. Obviously, Gortat's been a great player for them all year, but Mahimi just looks like he's been picking it up of late. And like the entire starting front court, they just have not been, it just hasn't been as, you know, engaged, zippy, clicking, maybe that's a better way to phrase it, um, that they were earlier in the year. So anyway, so let me, let me end my Wizards thoughts there. I will tack on a Georgetown thought here. Uh, you know, I just as a reminder for those of you who are kind of wondering, why do I keep talking about Georgetown? I also have been covering, I also cover Georgetown. I've been covering them for many years. The, obviously what, what's going on over there is a huge deal. They fired longtime coach John Thompson III over a week ago now. We've been waiting to hear what they're going to do. Reports came out Sunday night that they are looking at Patrick Ewing. Yes, as in that Patrick Ewing, that Georgetown Patrick Ewing, that he is supposedly going to come in for an interview on Monday. That is interesting. But let's note, he's an assistant coach on the Charlotte Hornets. The Charlotte Hornets will be in town to face the Wizards Tuesday. He's just coming in early. Um so to some extent, that's a face-to-face meeting. Maybe that in and of itself doesn't mean that much, but okay, you take you know they take advantage of the schedule. But uh, Adrian Wojnarowski with Yahoo also reported he reported that as as did Casual Hoya. But Patrick Ewing, or, I'm sorry, Adrian Wojnarowski also said that Ewing has begun looking at assembling uh, a staff. Or, or let me get let me get this right. Ewing has spent the spent the week identifying potential candidates to pursue as part of a high-level experience college coaching staff. This is interesting. This is interesting. Um, Because the entire knock on Ewing at a base level is... He doesn't have the experience on the college levels of coaching. He's been an NBA coach for the last 13, 14 years. I have heard nothing but good things about what he does as an assistant. He's been close to getting a couple of head coaching jobs in the NBA. It hasn't worked out. Um, you know, he's considered to be something of a big man guru. He's had success with guys over the years. And look, obviously, when you're talking Georgetown specifically, why? How could you not be interested in in Patrick Ewing? What he would mean to that program. Um, that said, I, I don't know. I need. I'll, I'll. I'll. If they. If they. If they make this official, I'll come back with some. With a standalone podcast and some more. And some more thoughts. I, I think my my concern, I guess, on some level, would be that. Why? Why did they end up on? Why did they end up on Patrick Ewing? Did they end up on Patrick Ewing because they couldn't figure out another candidate? Did they end up on Patrick Ewing because they determined he was the best candidate? I know they just went out and hired a search firm. I said from the start when that search firm news came out that this sounds to me like cover, that they want to think that they want this to go a certain way, and having the search firm say, hey, we think Patrick Ewing is the best option. Or I thought Tommy Amaker was a possibility as well. Sounds like he is not interested in the job, but he was one of the first names out of the block uh, or out of the gates. Um and so getting that cover could be helpful because I know a lot of Georgetown, a lot of a lot of the Georgetown fan base is not that thrilled about a Patrick Ewing hire simply because, if nothing else, it's more of the same on, 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 in terms of that Thompson 
tree. The one reason I think a lot of people just wanted out of the JT3 era was just it's been t it's tired, it's been there, it's done that. They want to move away from that what what has been part of this program for the last 40 something years, the, the the Thompson aura. Patrick Ewing maybe more than any other player who ever played at Georgetown is associated with the big with the Big John more than anybody. He's the first guy you think of with this program. I guess some some of the younger set might think Iverson, but for me, it's definitely Ewing. I think for most, it's Ewing. He's an iconic figure there. I totally get why they would be interested in him. But you know what? It was a big deal that they let go of John Thompson III, the son of John Thompson Jr., the guy who built this program, who made this program what it is, who made Georgetown an iconic program, a, a national champion, and, and so on, and, and, and even maybe even a bigger deal in popular culture. Pat, whoever this next coach is, is coming into a fairly dismal situation. There are some positives with the program, of course. You've got the Georgetown name. They just built a great facility on campus. You play at a pro arena. I don't know if that's always a, an advantage for them, but whatever. It's it's at least you can work. You you can deal with that for to some degree. And Patrick Ewing, if it is him. You know, that name will get some people to care. I don't know how many 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds are going to care. Hopefully their parents are interested if you're Georgetown. But they only have eight players right now on scholarship, and we don't know for sure if all those guys are going to come back. There's still some rumblings. Some guys could leave. They, uh, Patrick Ewing is talking about this, uh, getting more assistance. We'll see what kind of staff he puts together. He needs guys who know the AAU circuit, the recruiting world to help him where he doesn't know. Maybe he can deal with the X's and O's at a good level, but that other part of the world is, is a mystery. And look, I, the fact that Patrick Ewing stayed as an assistant, that's a grind to, to be to be part of an NBA team like that. Patrick Ewing, with all the money he made in his career in the NBA, he could have just lived out his life and on the beach and been happy. But he wanted to get into coaching, and, and, and good for that, thrilled for him. Like I said, I've heard, I've heard nothing but good things about him in the in that role. But going out on the road and, and recruiting is 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 a grind of a different order. You have to essentially kiss the ass of a bunch of sixteen year olds and their families to get you to get them to come. That's not the same thing as taking charter plane from New York to Charlotte to Utah. That's not fun necessarily either. But it's a different type of deal. You're in your own world. You kind of know what you have to do. That's different. So between the I don't know. I guess my point there is, if you hire Patrick Ewing, people won't keep wanting to compare this to St. John's. There was a lot of coaches in between Lou Carnoseca, the equivalent of John Thompson Jr., and Chris Mullen. St. John's went through a long time of some ups, some downs, some good, some bad, before they went to that iconic player. Georgetown, if they go straight to that guy, boy, I really hope it works out, because I don't know how you you let Patrick Ewing, you know, you sent Patrick Ewing out the exit door, and like I said, he's not coming into an easy situation at all. At least with St. John's, you sort of knew it. Hey, they've been down for a while. They're trying anything. Georgetown's been down for 10 minutes, relatively speaking. Yes, it's back-to-back -back losing seasons, but it's hardly. They haven't been walking in the desert for two decades or you know, or, or anything like that. So it's an interesting hire. I don't think anybody can say it's a bad hire if they make it. I also don't know if anybody can say truly it's a, it's a home run hire other than from the nostalgia standpoint, and, and, you know, you can arguably, you essentially will win the PR battle off the bat. I just hope if, it, if that's where it goes, I hope it works out, because like I said, 
getting rid of JT three was already it was already tricky enough to have to potentially one day fire Patrick Ewing. And I'm not trying to be negative off the bat. I'm just saying he's walking into a very tough spot. They're likely going to be a bad team next year. I think that's reasonable, barring some guys just having huge uh, improvements in their game. And then he still has to recruit on top of that to get guys, you know, you still have to get guys to come in. They only have, like I said, about eight guys now. You just have to get players to come in for this year. So anyway, if it is Patrick Ewing, that'll be all kinds of interesting and all kinds of fun. And as somebody who was grew up in the Patrick Ewing era, it'll be a mind blower for, for sure. But at the same point, I, I don't know. I think there's some concerns I still have with that, with that hire. But most of all, how they got there, if we can learn sort of the, the tick-tock of that, how Georgetown would get to that decision, I think is interesting. But it's not in the yet. We'll see if there's other if there's other people in the mix. But when I see Adrian Wojnarowski say Patrick Ewing has spent a week identifying potential candidates to pursue as part of a high-level experienced coaching staff, that sounds to me like Patrick Ewing is in the mix for the Georgetown job and maybe the front-runner. All right, we'll call it there. Wizards back at it. Tuesday against the Hornets. I will be back at the Verizon Center, excited as always to get back there after a long stay away, uh, and uh, excited to keep talking to you guys about all things Wizards. Uh, ben Standig signing off, and until next time, see ya. Everybody Deal gets open for three. Dagger. Long drive, long shot. Dagger. Oh.